Welcome to the Intelligence Download, a podcast from BAE Systems. I'm Paul Middleton. I'm joined today by Rob Goldfinger, one of our global experts in financial crime solutions, uh, and Gail Fuller, Vice President of K2 Intelligence and the Financial Integrity Network. On today's Intelligence Download, Robert will be take, talking to Gail to discuss how COVID-19 is impacting financial institutions across the globe. What should they be watching for over the coming months? And where do we go from here? So, uh, Rob, I'll turn over to you to ask this first question and make the intros. Thank you, Paul. Um, Gail, um, before we start off with the uh, content of what uh, we're going to be contributing today, can you tell us a little bit more, more about yourself and uh, K2 Fin? Sure. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate you inviting me to join the podcast today. Um, so as Paul said, I work for K2 Intelligence, the Financial Integrity Network. So we're a newly merged organization, still working on boiling down that name. Uh, but as a combined organization, we work with financial institutions, fintechs, corporations, foreign jurisdictional authorities like financial supervisors and law enforcement, really around the world, trying to help them meet the rising expectations for financial integrity. And when we talk about that, we really are thinking about this whole broad spectrum of issues from anti-money laundering, counter-terrorist financing, to sanctions and exports controls, to anti-fraud, anti-bribery and anti-corruption, etc. Um, personally, my work is mostly around identifying, assessing, and planning to mitigate illicit finance risks. So I work with all those types of clients that I talked about, and I help them try to understand what their exposure to risk is and how they can mitigate that exposure. Um, I joined K2FIN back when it was just FIN in 2017, and I joined from the Treasury Department, um, where I worked in their intelligence unit focused on illicit finance. My background before joining K2FIN is mostly in sort of the intelligence side in government. So I think that's natural that I've then focused on risk, following the bad guys for a while, just to make you think about how they think and how they can exploit things. Uh, thank you, Gail, for that um, introduction. Um, we are living through unprecedented times due to COVID-19. Uh, Stay-at-home restrictions and remote working now seem to be the the norm. Uh, that has really uh, altered the workplace uh, for everyone, and especially financial institutions, especially and specifically the business operations of these financial institutions. In, in your role at uh, K2 Fin and and Fin in and in general, your whole organization, what have you observed uh, from your clients as they work through uh, this really unprecedented uh, period of time and the new the new normal paradigm of uh, what they're doing business in? Yeah, so it's it's definitely a challenging time. Um, I know I'm working from home, and I think everyone else is working from home at this point if we're lucky enough to be working. And if it's really complicated for financial institutions in particular um, because they deal with such sensitive information, uh, particularly the compliance staff. I mean, it's just not been set up for remote work. And so there are real challenges associated with that. You know, they're trying to find solutions. They're thinking through what work can be done remotely, but that presents some risks of, of its own in terms of 
employees that aren't used to remote work or maybe aren't familiar with security protocols on the cyber side, like using a VPN or aren't used to that sort of thing. Um, so it's definitely a challenging situation. And it's not that it's impossible to do this work from home. It's just not historically sort of how it's been set up. Um, some of the financial institutions that we've talked to have actually been exploring kind of rotational staffing. So they're minimizing the number of people in the office, but still having them come in the office so they can maintain social distance. Uh, but that also, of course, we know that compliance staffs were already in kind of a resource-constrained environment. So cutting down on the number of staff you have on board makes it even more so. I think some of the financial institutions that have kind of been ahead of the curve a little bit operationally have been those that have already embraced sort of outsourced or geographically dispersed compliance models where remote work is more normal and teams are used to communicating across regions. That's great. Um, now, in terms of the um, preparation and operational response, uh, do you think that most financial institutions willfully prepared for something of this size and scope uh, from an impact in a business continuity standpoint, or do you think um, the vast majority of them are in a, an environment of uh, trying to uh, catch their footing and maybe be doing a little uh, bit of catch-up uh, in response to what uh, they're experiencing from both a, a centralized fashion and then from the decentralized fashion that we've all been pivoting to? Yeah, I think that everyone was caught a little underprepared for the situation. I mean, you called it unprecedented before, and it really is unprecedented in modern memory, kind of the scope of what we're all going through. And so I think it's pretty fair to say that most financial institutions were not fully prepared. Um, I know from my time in government, continuity of operations is a real buzzword and thinking about how to ensure continuity of operations no matter what happens. And I know some of that planning takes place with financial institutions as well, but I think maybe it hasn't been as intensive or we didn't anticipate an event just like this that would cause us to be working remotely for such a sustained period of time. So I, I definitely think there's a lot of catch-up being played. You know, I was mentioning before that there are some financial institutions that seem to be kind of better positioned to weather this than others. And we've noticed some common characteristics among those financial institutions. And, you know, as I was saying before, some of them are the ones that have already geographically dispersed their compliance functions because, of course, not the region in the world or even in the country or within a state is being hit to the same extent by this current crisis. And so those that are already dispersed have a little bit more flexibility, um, whether that's dispersing their own personnel or whether that's looking at um, outsourcing centers that help them um, geographically disperse their teams. Um, I think others that have been a little bit ahead of the curve have been those that have really effectively deployed their enterprise-wide risk assessment and risk management for compliance because that allows you to really pass items from team to team and region to region in a way that still maintains consistency in the quality of the compliance outputs um, if you're really taking an enterprise-wide approach. Um, and then I think the other characteristic we're seeing that has put some financial institutions a little bit ahead of the game has to do with how they're using technology. Um, those financial institutions that have already really embraced next-generation technologies and focused on how they can calibrate, for example, their transaction monitoring so that they're not overloaded with false positives, and how they can automate parts of their alert adjudication and reduce manual review are, are a little bit ahead of the game too. 
So, you know, I think there's some things that some financial institutions have done that have put them ahead of the curve to a certain extent, but I think it's also fair to say that really no one anticipated something of this scope and everyone is playing catch up. Right. And with the uh, playing catch up and some of the observations that you just detailed, I think uh, we all are now going going into uh, another stage, kind of like the reopening stage. So we've we've tried to all get our footing in what was what we've been presented with on a daily basis. And now as um, local governments and, and geographic uh, controllers are saying, OK, it's time to reopen uh, some of our access in reflection to uh, the the level of uh, of covid that their populations are experiencing. What do you think could be some of the next steps that financial institutions um, will do differently as they start to uh, not only reopen uh, to the public uh, operationally behind the scenes, but maybe even to some of the new um, uh, face-to-face circumstances that will be in a changed environment? Yeah, I mean, I think some of that really depends on what the reopening looks like and how that plays out, um, because that itself is really uncertain right now. Um, The sort of shutdown of activities hasn't been consistent everywhere, and I anticipate that the reopening won't be consistent either, and that it will honestly be kind of an iterative process of opening and then closing again, opening and then closing again, um, until we get really things figured out. And so... I think that as banks are grappling with that and grappling with the reopening, they're going to start exploring those sorts of ideas that I was talking about that put some financial institutions a little bit ahead. So in terms of the working across regions, um, I think there's going to be a bigger focus on that. And so in a way, this will, you know, hopefully help bring together um, the different regions, break down silos and kind of push forward on that enterprise wide approach that we need to focus on. Um, because dispersing the compliance function either through rotational staffing or spreading personnel over different geographies or even through leveraging external parties is is a challenge from a compliance perspective because we want to maintain that consistency. And, you know, global standards say that there needs to be an enterprise-wide approach to risk management and the institutions should all follow global standards or at least the laws and regulations of the most stringent jurisdiction in which they have a presence. And so I think as we're working across regions, that's going to sort of lift the tide of compliance for the whole institution, hopefully. Um, I think there's definitely also going to be a renewed look at technology solutions in the compliance world that can really help make the system more effective and efficient. Um, FinCEN came out with some guidance in early April that talked about how important the role of compliance technology is in this current crisis situation, really encouraging financial institutions to evaluate and sort of try to responsibly implement these innovative approaches to meeting their obligations. And, you know, key to a lot of this as we're talking about the reopening is going to be messaging leadership and tone from the top, because we're talking about getting multiple departments and regions to really band together and ensure that they're prioritizing what's most important. And we're also talking about having the fortitude to make longer-term technology investments in a time that is really challenging economically. So and I think that 
you know, reinforcing that from the top and reinforcing that even though we're in a really challenging situation, compliance remains critical and remains critically important to the business is really important. Uh, Gail, in reflection, in reflection to these, um, the comments that you just made about the changing work environment and some of the changes in the the culture of financial institutions and other and other affected businesses. Um, what are some of the implications that you see coming up on product and service risks that financial institutions? Uh, should be ready and prepared to encounter, and then after they've encountered, how are they going to respond to it? Yeah, so, you know, I think all of the different aspects of risk are really changing as the behaviors of customers change, which, you know, you and I have talked about before. And on on product and service risk in particular, um, the thing that comes to mind to me most is really the growing emphasis on digital banking and and payments, peer-to-peer payments, third-party payment processing. These are trends that were definitely already out there, um, but they're really accelerating and accelerating the, the associated compliance concerns um, as people are looking for contactless ways to send funds. And the real challenge from a compliance perspective with the rise in these third-party payment processors is that it's a it's just a form of financial intermediation. And so the bank that is processing the transactions on behalf of the third-party payment processor is not really able to see all the ends of the payment and who's originating, who's the beneficiary. It's not immediately clear to the financial institution. So this is really challenging. And I know the financial institutions have been grappling with this for a while. And one way they've been responding is by trying to develop their own sort of in-house payment platform. And this is the moment of renewed opportunity for that, um, I think. And bringing that service in-house to a financial institution is not only a business opportunity, but also makes compliance a lot easier. Um, The other thing I think about when I'm thinking about kind of product service risk right now and how it's changing is, is related specifically to the risk profile of loans and the disbursement of government funds in the context of the crisis. So the CARES Act and the Paycheck protection program. Um, We've been talking about this at K2FIN a little bit in terms of how do you guard against the risks of fraud and abuse in those types of programs and tailoring the actual aspects of the products themselves, um, what you're offering and how you're offering these disbursements can actually help to mitigate some of the risks. So we've been talking a lot internally just about you know, is there a way to create a limited purpose account? Because we know what a business that is receiving funds from the Paycheck Protection Program is supposed to be doing with those funds. And so can we create kind of a limited purpose account or create a fence around that account that really raises red flags as soon as there's deviation from the sort of narrow things that you're allowed to be doing with that money? So there's a lot of a lot of change going on in the product landscape in terms of the risk, but I think there are opportunities in there as well. And there definitely are things that financial institutions can be doing to mitigate the risk. With some of the um, the points that you just uh, brought up, it, it appears that there uh, it, it may be concentrated on three areas. Um, uh, those areas being uh, the product and service delivery channel, 
customer risk. And then also, if you could expand maybe on some of the geographic risk as as financial institutions have to take a look at um, what are the risk factors uh, and the effect of, of COVID on depending upon where their where their customers are doing business, uh, is it domestic, is it international, um, and some of the other, and I know this is a, a very big sweet spot for you, risk rating and uh, okay. adjusting the risk rating model uh, for uh, financial institutions, uh, depending upon the products and services and the profile of their customer and the subsequent utilization of KYC and CIP. Um, what are some of the key concerns for these risk areas, the service and delivery, customer risk, and geographic risks uh, that you're starting to address at K2FIN? Yeah, so I think customer risk, as I was saying before, is really kind of at the core of it because this crisis is just causing changes in customer behavior in a lot of ways for individual customers and for corporate customers. We might be seeing unexpected activity or different activity from them that is sort of creating red flags because they're deviating from their usual patterns and they're doing different things. And that has really been the driver of, of kind of a shifting risk um, as a result of the crisis, um, in addition, of course, to the threat side of it, which I think we're going to talk about a little later in terms of people trying to exploit this tragic situation. But um, right. in terms of customer behavior and, and customer risk, like, you know, we're seeing people again, engaging in peer-to-peer payments. And I think one of the major changes in customer behavior is related to, as you were saying, Rob, just this, the delivery channels. Everything's gone non-face-to-face. Um, we've gone to so many Zoom meetings now, and, uh, you know, banking is the same way. Everything is non-face-to-face. And so the way that banks are onboarding customers and the way that they're verifying their identities needs to change and needs to kind of keep pace. Um, so that's a, a real challenge in that regard. You know, if we drill down into, you know, geographic risk, which is another kind of area that you had asked about, I think what we're seeing that complicates things there is, again, that we're seeing deviations from past behavior that we would have expected from customers. So I always think about this in the context of corporate customers because corporate customers are trying to keep their businesses still running. And we know that supply chains for everything from basic staple foods to medicines are just kind of in chaos right now. And so you're going to see customers transacting with new counterparties. You're going to see customers transacting with new geographies. And that really shines a light on some of the challenges around the way that we have historically focused on transaction monitoring and how we've thought about what does normal look like for a customer And it's been a very rigid, rules-based system where we say, well, a customer's behavior, what we expect it to look like is based on what they told us when they were onboarded and, you know, what their past behavior has been. But if we have a more dynamic way of looking at that, where we're comparing them to the behavior of their peer group instead, uh, you know, that's a more flexible way of looking at it because everyone's probably going to be pinging on deviation from the norm alerts right now. But if everyone's doing it, then if we were looking at it more holistically and flexibly in a dynamic way that incorporated peer behaviors, then we might have a bit of a different result when we're talking about the number of alerts being generated, things like that. Gail, Rob, uh, thank you for both of your thoughts. Um, 
And many thanks for listening to the Intelligence Download. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes, Google, Podbean, or your favourite podcast. <laughs>